And welcome back to Coaching with the Bible. This week, the portion of Va'era, episode 68 overall and episode 14 in season 2. Our topic this week on feeling overwhelmed. This is an important topic. This is something that I think many, if not most, if not all of us, have been feeling very much over the last couple of years, that sense of overwhelm. That sense that the world that's around me, the things that are going on around me, are far more complex than I can handle. As one writer put it, the complexity of the world has surpassed the complexity of my mind. And so I'm being outclassed and outcomplexed, and it's become difficult to operate simply by existing in the world that it is right now. I think a lot of us feel that, and that no matter how smart we are, no matter how maybe successful we might have been, that maybe that for the current moment, none of that matters. And so we get that sense of overwhelm. That overwhelm leads to anxiety, leads to stress, leads to additional pressure. It leads to us making more mistakes. It leads to us almost stopping in our own tracks, unable to operate, to move, to do anything. If that sounds familiar, if nothing else, know that you're in good company because that's a lot of people. I count myself among that group as well. At certain moments, that could be end of calendar year like it is right now when you're super busy with things at work. It could be holiday season. It could be whatever it is or whatever time it is that you feel that. But in the world we're in right now, I think we all feel that in some way, shape or other. I bring it up this week specifically because I do believe that overwhelm finds its way into this week's, this week's uh, Bible reading, into the portion of the week, and a set of four words that for a long time I have thought about and wondered about, but haven't had the time or the focus, let's say, to study them and sit on them specifically. And it comes to us in the sixth chapter, verse nine of the book of Exodus. Moses has just given, delivered this incredible speech to the people. He has revealed to them the notion of redemption. He has gone through the four languages of redemption. These are the words that we repeat, that we talk about, that we have symbols around come the holiday of Passover at the Seder itself, the four languages of redemption. Moses shares this with the people. This should be like the highest moment. This should be this incredible moment of faith, of belief, of excitement, of spirituality, of preparedness for leaving. And the Bible tells us in verse 9 that they couldn't hear him. They couldn't hear him. Now, it's not the only time in our reading this week, where we hear about the notion of hearing. 
Pharaoh doesn't listen. Multiple times he is accused or described as someone who doesn't listen and therefore his heart is hardened or he hardens his heart, any one of those two. So the concept of being able to hear is important, but it doesn't just apply to Pharaoh. It applies to the people themselves. Moses comes, he speaks to them. The Bible tells us there these four words. Here are the Hebrew, and then let's work on the English translation and our understanding of what they are. The people couldn't hear Moses from what's called Kotzer Ruach and Avodah Kasha, from what would be a shortening of a spirit, that's the first one, and hard work. It's two things. And because of that, they couldn't hear Moses. Now, what are those two things? And why are they so powerful that they overwhelm their ability to hear Moses in the moment when he's speaking about their redemption? So the most obvious, the most basic one is simply that what's going on around them at the moment in terms of work and the workload simply too much. They have too much on their plate in front of them at the moment. Therefore, they cannot listen, focus, hear Moses when he's talking about redemption. Call me when that big project is over. Call me in January when year end is behind me. Call me after tax season when I can perhaps give some attention to what it is that you're talking about. But until then, I'm up to here right? You can't see me, but my hands my hands are just about over my neck, right about my chin. I'm up to here with what I'm dealing with right now. I can't deal with more. So that's on like one level, simply by virtue of the fact of having too much work, right? That's the second one, too much work. It brings in a sense of feeling that there is a shortness of breath. That's like a literal translation of the words, and many of the commentaries go in that direction. And it's a very vivid image. Moses bursts onto the scene last week. He comes in now again, and he tells them, God is going to redeem the people. This is how, boom, boom, boom. And they're like, where do we get the straw for the bricks? What's the number of uh, cities we have to build uh, this week? Um, what happens if we, if we don't get to the quota number that we need? Like, what, what, what are the Egyptians going to do to us? And Moses is probably sort of shocked or flabbergasted or frustrated by their inability to hear what he just said. It's falling on deaf ears. They are not hearing this speech. One of the commentaries, known as the Kliyakar of Ephraim Lunchitz, says that perhaps it's the manner in which Moses said it, perhaps the manner in which Moses described it, and so it wasn't in the right terms, the right language, and therefore they couldn't hear it. All possible, all true. But when we think about what's going on here, can appreciate that uh, in hindsight, and from the outsider's view, the way we read the text, we also might be shocked about the idea that they couldn't hear the redemption coming their way. That they're focusing, prioritizing, thinking about the wrong things. 
at the same time, we've all been there. We've all been in that space where there's sort of too much, too much going on, right? There's a quote that I saw today. Some days you feel like you're the ocean and some days you feel like you're drowning in it. And so it could be that, you know, when they, Moses came to them last week and told them that they're getting out of Egypt, that they had capacity for the faith that they needed to believe Moses at that time. And they did. And then it got bad. And then Pharaoh pushed back. And so maybe that faith is gone, as some of the commentaries say, that they don't, they don't have any faith anymore after the debacle that was that first meeting with Pharaoh. Or maybe they still have faith, as uh, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, Moses ben Nachman, Nachmanides, Ramban, that we've mentioned last week as well, says, no, they still had faith. They still had faith, but they simply couldn't hear it right now. They simply couldn't turn their heads, their ears, their listening skills, their ability to pay attention, focus on what it is that Moses is talking about, because they have this fear that Pharaoh would uh, kill them. They have this fear that his foot soldiers will beat them and that they have responsibilities and they have families and they have other things. And don't add to that. I can't do more, Moses. I have enough on my plate. And so it's not just the work. It's the impact of the work on the people. It holds them down. It beats them down. It keeps them in place. It helps explain why it is that Pharaoh is not interested, at least initially, in allowing them to have some sort of a three-day furlough where they can go pray and focus on God. That would break the sequence. That would give them some spirit. That would allow them to breathe. That would allow them to take in the oxygen that they need to think about redemption. Pharaoh wants no part of that. And it works. The people want no part of that either. And so it's not going to work that way. It doesn't happen that way. It's going to happen a different way. So Moses made the speech. They heard the words. They couldn't listen to the message. And it's going to have to happen a different way. Moses is going to have to go back and work harder. And so the sense of overwhelm is where the people of Israel are in this moment in Egypt. And it impacts everything what they can focus on, what they can work on, what they can do, how they can be of help, how they view themselves, how they view their relationship with Pharaoh, how they view their, see their relationship, excuse me, with the Egyptians. And redemption is not coming, even though, even though it's actually that close. Even though this is the worst moment they're going to have or the last worst moment they're going to have because after this, the plagues start, the work eases, it gets better, and then they leave. And so it's important for us to appreciate that sense. And that's what overwhelm is. The joke that I saw in a couple of different places is, I know God will not give me anything that I can't handle, I just wish he didn't trust me so much. There's a sense that uh, this is too much for me, but we believe, we have this notion that yes, it's a lot and that it may be too much for me, but God wouldn't give me something that I can't handle. I just have to figure out how I can handle it. Maybe God shouldn't give me such big things or trust me so much to handle so much. 
And so it's important for us to appreciate the sense of overwhelm, the concept of overwhelm, that it's so normal and so regular and so much of what people actually feel and, sh- and, and believe about themselves in this circumstance, in this situation. And that if misery is diminished or decreased even a little bit by the fact that there's company in that misery around us, maybe that's something here today. But it's really the case. It's really the truth. And so we have to figure out when we're in overwhelm, when we're in that space, what do we do? How do we handle that? How do we help that out with other people? And so it's also important to appreciate that there are typically things that we do wrong when we're in overwhelm, the things that we think we can't do when we're in that space. So there's an article, I think it's in 2019, in the Harvard Business Review. I quote that, the Harvard Business Review, a lot here. And it's called Five Mistakes We Make When We're Overwhelmed. And what happens is that in that space, we sort of self-sabotage because we can't think straight, we can't adapt, we can't put the plan in place, we can't see step one versus step two, we can't do things. And so there are things we skip. And the first thing is that we think we don't have enough time for the things that will actually help us. So let's say we're overwhelmed at home and having someone come in for a week, for an hour or two a week to help with, you know, watching children, uh, helping with homework, uh, cleaning, emptying grocery bags. And we think, oh, we don't have time for that or the money for that or the ability to do that, but we know the benefit of that. So we make the mistake of believing we don't have enough time for that. But if we have, if we made that time, if we invested the time that it would need to get that done, how much else it would alleviate for us. We don't, you know, we don't spend a little bit enough time in our own minds focusing on the unconscious, the things that help us get things solved, the part of the brain that operates when we're in distress that allows us to actually come up with solutions. And so we focus and we hyper-focus on the moment and and something that we think is important that isn't, rather than allowing ourselves to take a minute to think, to ruminate, to even unwind if possible, so we can get to where we need to get to. We also very often think of overwhelm as weakness. And so we're shamed and the anxiety increases because we think that being overwhelmed is some sort of weakness. Uh, The truth is what's actually happening is that our life isn't falling apart. It's just that our thoughts are falling apart. Um, And that um, if we can sort of hold that a little bit together, or we can, we can, you know, get people to help us out, then we realize that, okay, we can pull this back together. So sometimes we get so self-critical about the, about, about the fact that we're overwhelmed, that we don't allow ourselves the space or the time or the ability to breathe uh, and to work it out because we're so self-critical and so um, ashamed and embarrassed about the fact that we might feel overwhelmed. It's totally normal. And so we have to uh, think about how we want to do that. We often withdraw from people who actually can really help us in the moments when we feel overwhelmed. And we, we don't like to ask for help. We don't like to ask for handouts in whatever shape they may come because of that overwhelm. It's part of the shame that comes with it. It's part of the 
anxiety that comes with what are they going to think of me when I'm overwhelmed. And they don't realize that that person is probably overwhelmed also and would actually appreciate the opportunity to help somebody who's overwhelmed at that moment. So we need to appreciate that it's totally normal. We need to appreciate that we do make mistakes, but that we can actually do more to help ourselves in the overwhelmed space. A lot of the literature tells us the first thing we need to do is really to figure out what the primary source of our overwhelm is. That's sort of 80-20 thing. Like, you know, 80% of our overwhelm is maybe 20% of the actual things or the other way around. 20% of our overwhelm is coming from whatever it is, right? However you want to understand the 80-20 rule here. But the idea that X item on our list can alleviate Y percentage of our overwhelm, of our stress, of our tension, of our anxiety. So that's valuable to be able to assess that. It's valuable to be able to put that into the right sequence. It's valuable to be able to then see, okay, that's what's hurting me. That item I can actually delegate to somebody else. Or that thing is an assumption I'm making that's a mistake. And if I can assume differently or I can think differently about that thing, then 80% of my overwhelm goes away. So being able to pinpoint the overwhelm, the source of the overwhelm, for the people of Israel, that was pretty obvious. It was the endless mind-numbing work that they were going through, the quotas that they had to experience, the fact that they'd been there for so long and it had been so bad and that the first meeting with Pharaoh had gone so poorly, or it appeared so, can appreciate where their overwhelm was coming from. And so the first thing really is to pinpoint that, right? It may be that we're responsible uh, for those items anyway, and we can't necessarily get that 80% item off of my plate, but it does help us organize. It does help us put a number on it. It does help us see it, the overwhelm, for what it actually is. To break it down to some of its component parts, which is what we talk a lot about here, is not trying to tackle the entirety of the thing, but to attack a portion of it the way that uh, some people, you know, I, I like this. I heard this a couple of weeks ago. I think it's really great. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? The notion that if something is so big, we can't wrap our heads around it or wrap our minds around that we can't accomplish it, we can't fix it. The truth is we handle it the same way we did everything else. It's just one bite at a time, one step at a time. Ultimately, we get there. And so that's really important. So pinpointing the source of the overwhelm in the chance in the situation that I can outsource and I can delegate, let's do that. If I can challenge the assumptions that I'm working on, challenge the things that the manner in which I come into this situation, these big assumptions that keep us in unproductive and difficult and complicated, complex spaces when they don't have to, then we can actually be better. So these are the first eight uh, steps that we want to take. Obviously, it always begins with us here uh, in the mind, in our mindset and how we think. It's super important here to take the time to breathe in the overwhelm because it can get the best of us. God forbid it ends up in some sort of anxiety attack or a panic attack. We don't want that. We want to be able to help ourselves get through the overwhelm. Deep breaths in, deep breaths out. We've talked about that before and really focus in here. So beyond what I just said about pinpointing the source and outsourcing and delegating where possible and challenging the assumptions is also something we've come back to over and over and over again from the seven habits of highly effective people. 
the area of influence versus the area of concern. Some of the stuff that overwhelms us is not something we can actually do anything about. It's simply bigger than us. It's wider than us. It's worldwide. And so we have to learn and work on our ability to focus inside the circle that we actually have control of and influence over. When we focus in there, we sort of have, we, we, we force ourselves or we have someone help us push the other things aside, then we can actually get some space in our minds to really focus on a lot of the things that are going on. This is really important. It's not to say that the people of Israel are at fault or they did anything wrong. I don't think any of that is the way to sort of approach it. But the idea that they have to solve it or they're going to handle all of it on their own or that it's simply just going to be, um, you know, something that goes away, it's like that, that's not the case. They have help. They have support. It looks bleak at the moment. And as I said earlier, it actually gets easier for them after this really difficult moment. It actually gets better for them immediately after this. And so that's another thing with respect to overwhelm. We've been overwhelmed before. We've gotten through the overwhelm before. And probably it wasn't as bad, ultimately, as we thought it was going to be. And so as bad as it has been for the people of Israel and Egypt, and as bad as they might imagine or think it's going to be after this, because maybe they don't have any faith left or they have faith but they can't hear it, it actually gets better for them. The overwhelm diminishes, the work decreases, the likelihood of redemption increases. And so it's not something that they have to do alone. It's not something that they're going to handle by themselves. It's not something that's on them completely. And so we have to appreciate that for ourselves and also for the people around us. The ability to have the right amount of empathy for people who are overwhelmed, friends, coworkers, colleagues, neighbors, super important. It's not simply that we want to work on our own overwhelm and figure out how we can deal with our own triggers and our own anxieties and stresses and tensions and all those other things. It also goes to our ability and our willingness to try to help people around us. I saw in a blog called Witty and Gritty, which I thought was a great name, but the article was really good. Five responses to the overwhelmed friend and co-worker or co-worker. And they really, they really like, it, it, it goes down to basically having a sense of empathy for other people because you have been there. You have so much on your plate. How can I help you? You sound and you look like you're exhausted. You must be exhausted. Can I, can I make dinner for you tonight? Can I bring you a drink? Right? Can just being there with the person, listening to them, thanking them for sharing with you, not offering solutions and explanations, giving them a place to talk about it really helps. And then the key learning in that article, which I think is really one here, and I, I appreciate that you've been with me this long already today, is the first step after what we talked about before, those other three steps with respect to pinpointing or delegating or challenging the assumptions is to think about right now, what is the next right thing that I could do right now? What is the first next right thing that I could do right now? Because that's the most tangible thing after thinking it through and ruminating and wondering and stressing and all those other things. It's a very direct and specific and actionable item on a right step right now. I'll feel good about a right step. I'll feel good about 
the little accomplishment that it makes, I'll spend a moment celebrating myself with it, and it'll give me the confidence and the motivation that I can accomplish and that I can be productive and that I can actually move forward. This is overwhelm. This is where we are. This is what's going on around us. But we do have the tools and the skills and the abilities to work through it and to work with it and to and to get through to the other side of overwhelm. In the same way that the people of Israel get through it and ultimately are redeemed, same way is the case for us, that we have the opportunity, ability, with our own skill sets, with our own mindsets, to coach ourselves through this moment and to work ourselves through this moment to get to the other side of overwhelm. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. Look forward to seeing you next week.